This show is part of the Deluxe Edition Network. To find the other great shows on the network, head over to the Deluxe Edition Network.com. They literally never leave their home. Hello and welcome to another episode of Deluxe Edition. I am your host, Casey Shearer. Joining me, as always, Ray, the podcaster. What is going on, Casey? Not too much, Ray. We just had another incredible interview with J.D. Slackert, the author of Darling, You're Not Alone, and his first book, Moonflower. And uh, going to be honest with you, when we started this interview, uh, before we started this interview, Ray and I were uh, a little nervous because J.D. is uh, much younger than both of us, and... There wasn't a ton of research to do on J.D., but the show went great. J.D. is a a public speaker, so uh, uh, it was an easy thing for him, and he made it easier for us, I think. Yeah, this was a very serious interview for us. Yeah. Which isn't our wheelhouse, to be honest, but uh, J.D. made uh, everything go really smooth. You know, I'm going to I'm going to throw this on him is why it was so good. Yeah. Yeah. This kid, man, we talk about it in the in the interview. He just stays constantly positive. Yeah. Uh, we like I said, we talk about it in the in the chat, but like he's lost his home to a fire. Uh, he goes and talks to kids with cancer, you know, sick, just sick, sick kids in the hospital. And for someone to do something like that is just uh, incredible. Uh, It's just something that I would never be able to do. Yeah, this one was a tough one because uh, he'll put you on the edge of uh, crying. But I absolutely think this episode is amazing and everyone needs to hear it. Yeah, absolutely amazing interview. Uh, Check out JD, uh, JD Slackert. I'll put all of his information in the description. Uh, his books, Moonflower and Darling, You're Not Alone. Darling, You're Not Alone is coming out November 3rd, so be sure to pre-order that. It's coming out very soon. You mentioned, Ray, though, uh, <laughs> he will put you on the verge of tears. Like, I was I was on the verge <laughs> of tears. I actually threw me off. Like, I, we were talking <laughs> yeah. about something, and I, I was, like, almost ready to cry, and I, it completely <laughs> threw me off, uh, and I had to take the conversation a different way before bringing it back around to what we were talking about. But yeah, just check, check JD out. Uh, incredible guy. Can we just hit the plugs before you start crying again? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Just, let's uh, just do the plug. If you want to see any of our previous interviews that aren't so serious, <laughs> check out deluxe edition dot show. Uh, we are also on Twitter and Instagram at deluxe edition pod. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash deluxe edition pod. There's different tiers over there. Uh, You can make a one-time donation to help us out or a monthly thing. And then with the monthly things, you get perks. Uh, Or you could just buy a t-shirt over at whatamaneuver.net slash collection slash deluxe edition. And be sure to check out all the other shows over at deluxeeditionnetwork.com. And the podcast of the month this month is The Return of the Living Flett with Kyle Curtis Flett from up in Canada. 
you know, not all Canadians are bad, right? Kyle's a good dude, so check out his yeah. uh, podcast. So, so you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> check him out over at the. Uh, he's a YouTube exclusive show, "The Return of the Living Flat." And uh, Ray, your plugs, please. Uh, you can hear my podcast, the Ten Cent Beer Night Podcast, exclusively on Spotify despite the fact that Casey hates that. And you can also get my merch on TeePublic. All right, man. So uh, let's get into this chat with J.D. Slacker. Let's do it. Fellas, what's going on? Uh, there he is. How you, how you guys doing, man? I'm a, big, uh, I'm a big fan of the show. I just finished watching the uh, episode with Patrika Darbo. Oh, oh, she thanks, was man. amazing. Yeah. It, I mean, I love her like... Uh, her spirit man she's got like mm-hmm. quite a personality and it was cool because i actually haven't met her personally but she did a review of my book for me which was super cool so it was like kind of getting to know her for the first time and her words sort of made more sense after watching your guys show but uh anyway man yeah you guys do a kick-ass job i really like it thanks man oh, thank yeah, you, that's, sir. Uh, that's awesome very cool yeah patrika was awesome and uh yeah. it was a first for us with her on the show she was our, she was our first emmy winner yeah i heard that i heard that yeah that's awesome. um i wanted to say happy birthday you bladed birthday just okay. turned 28 the other day oh he's, yeah, he's, a, yeah. he's just a baby that's it. that that was going to that i was going to say uh another first for us you're you might be our youngest guest really? that we've had on the show I love it, man. I, I love so. it. I'll bring yeah. some of that uh, millennial energy for you guys. Oh, thank, <laughs> yeah. thank God we could use some. <laughs> well, what were you doing at 28, Ray? This guy's written two books um, already. He goes to hospitals and talks to sick children. Uh, he's played college basketball. What were you doing at 28? 28, I was still playing with my bands. Um, the punk band? Yeah, well, I had a rockabilly band at that point, I think, which I called Garageabilly because I had combined all kinds of things together. But I also had a dancing robot on stage with us. So, you <laughs> yeah, know, I you gotta. Show, Ray. I, I'm, I'm jealous, man. I actually just cut my hair and I'm missing it, dude. This is actually, this is three years worth of growth now. So, yeah. uh, I had great. really long hair in high school. And when the pandemic hit and I, couldn't go get my hair cut i was like all right i'll wait and then as it started to grow i was like you know it'd be cool let's just see how long it'll get again let's see if i can get it as long as it was in high school and i'm not quite there yet but i'm getting close now so i love it dude i love it so where, yeah. where are you guys located i'm in florida Tallahassee, yeah, I'm in cleveland florida. cool and you're yeah. in cleveland, right dang that's awesome yeah, yeah. Ray actually has the exact date of the pandemic uh, locked down because of the his hair, the length of his hair. I do. Uh. It's well, I actually know the day that I was at work, and they were like, uh, "We're going to shut down for two weeks," and that turned into months. But we had a meeting. It was it was actually St. Patrick's Day, two thousand nineteen. And they called us in, and they were like, hey, look, uh, the parade's not happening, so there's no reason for anybody to call off work today. You know, don't fake a sickness. Yeah. Um, But we're going to close down for two weeks, and everything will go back to normal, lickety-split, 
And I was like, man, I don't be off for two weeks. And I was off for like two months or something. It's crazy. Yeah. And then when I got back to work, it was like a ghost town. Right. Like they brought back the skeleton crew. And I'm still mad because, like, now they're making me wear a mask at work. Currently or? or... No, 2019. Oh, yeah. So, like, and then they were like, I wanted to get my hair cut. And I was like, this is how this all revolves around that. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to make an appointment to get my hair cut. And they're like, well, you got to wear a mask. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that. I'll come in in a couple of weeks. This is all going to blow over. (laughs) Three years later. I mean, funny enough, man, like, I did the same thing. I had, like, a buzz cut before the pandemic and then i just grew it out because i mean you know like when you get long hair out of nowhere there's like that sort of stage you know what i'm talking about where like it looks horrible like oh yeah you have to just kind of tough it out through like that three four months of looking like a nightmare but yeah. then you kind of turn the corner and it's like okay this is actually decent yeah there's a point where people go up to you like your friends yeah. and they're like what the hell's going on with your hair bro <laughs> And you're just like, I'm growing it out. And they're like, yeah, it looks like shit. For sure. And you're like, give me three years. Three years, you'll you'll change your mind. You'll eat those words. But yeah, so, there's that 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 middle section's horrible. Say, I'm glad you stuck it out because the flow is immaculate. Oh, thank you, sir. Yeah, looking good. I know I know all about that, uh, the mid-period. Because I, I once uh, also had long hair, very long hair, <laughs> yeah. like Ray's. So I know all about it. But... Yeah. Getting back to you, JD, you mentioned uh, Patrika Darbo, how positive her energy is. I feel the same about you, man. Anything that I've watched with you, uh, you have such a positive uh, way about you. And going back to my, you know, little comedy bit at the beginning here, but honestly, you go and you see sick children in hospitals and speak in front of large crowds and all that, that kind of stuff. How do you stay so positive all the time? Oh, man. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And I appreciate you having me on the show, man, first of all, once again. But I, uh, you know, I'm able to kind of keep that positivity and keep that sort of energy, I guess, just by realizing how, I don't know, just how fortunate I am and how many people in my life have given me sort of like the opportunity to do what I love. I mean, I think as an athlete, you know, which is kind of where my story began, I was always sort of slept on and like, you know, last pick on the team and, and just was like, I, you know, I sort of was like a really late bloomer. I was kind of the, the allergy kid with red hair that like didn't get much uh, attention paid to him. But I, uh, you know, just was able to like fall in love with the game and, and love the process of like being on a team, being around friends. And I kind of had this super humble beginning with like my playing career. And I think that everything I got beyond just like being, you know, on my high school team was just the icing on the cake, which ended up introducing me to this little kid named Luke Bodden, who was my biggest fan. And I would say to answer your question, like really clearly, that was the person that sort of taught me everything I try and take forward with me in life. And, and, uh, and, you know, talking about my books and that sort of thing is this little kid had sickle cell disease. And the last thing that he wanted to do before he went into the full into the hospital for a full year of isolation for a bone marrow transplant was meet me and play basketball with me. And, you know, at 17 years old, you talk about how, you know, you're, you're kind of just like that, you know, self-centered person. And uh, he really just humbled me a lot. And, 
you know, t- sort of give me a, a real awakening in terms of like what's really important in life. And uh, those four years I spent with him were really, you know, impactful. And unfortunately, obviously, before he tragically passed away at the age of 10 years old. And, you know, I ended up writing my first book about him and our friendship. And, you know, I think ever, ever since that moment and, and witnessing kind of his passing, I've sort of made it my uh, goal to just never take anything for granted, to wake up every day and smile and appreciate all that life has to offer. Because, man, like, you know, if he if he was lost at 10, then every year any of us get to live beyond that. I think we're just lucky to get to do what we do. And that's the message I try to try to share as much as possible. And um, that's sort of where I feel like I get from. That's awesome, man. So let's jump around here a little bit. You mentioned your basketball career. Uh, you grew up in Santa Barbara, right? Uh, yeah, kind of like like northern Los Angeles, Santa Barbara area-ish. Uh, Santa Barbara is a little bit more north of where I grew up, but not by much, maybe about like 30, 40 minutes. And so, but you played for the University of Santa Barbara, yeah. right? Yeah, I went to college there uh, and played at UCSB. So again, I was like kind of a hometown kid, which was awesome because my Family got to come to all my games and my, uh, you know, obviously the kid I mentioned, Luke did too when he got out of the hospital. So yeah, I had like the most fans out of anybody at every game, which <laughs> definitely made my teammates pretty jealous, even though, um, you know, they had some people too, but oh yeah, I had like a, I had half the arena packed. That's awesome. Uh, another thing that I saw in, in your, doing the research for your, this chat here, I just, the positive outlook that you have on everything is just crazy. And then you're, you know, you're, you, you also had a house, one of your houses burned down, right? Yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, that, that the fires insane. out there in California. Yeah. That was an insane uh, situation. I, um, so I, you know, I'd written my first book and was sort of on this like crazy high of having this book out and talking about it and kind of like pulling myself out of this darkness when uh yeah this fire this massive fire came like rolling over the hill and uh ended up burning down uh our home in malibu and so this was the Woolsey fire in 2019 so this was three weeks after my first book was published um and it was i mean insane because i um you know the thing i remember most about it something i share a lot about that particular instance is you know, you know, you never like I've, I've been I've evacuated for fires before, but you never really quite are ready to, you know, leave and then never see any of the things you leave behind again. Right. Like you kind of just grab the essentials and what you feel like you need to just, you know, maybe, I don't know, leave for a day and then come back. So, you know, when my mom, I was living with my mom at the time. And she came down the stairs and, you know, woke me up at like three or four in the morning and was like, hey. I think we're going to need to, you know, evacuate and grab all of our stuff. And I remember, you know, kind of like going through my things and organizing like what I felt like I needed, you know, packing up the car and like feeling like I was good to go. And then I go and, you know, I can't find my mom. So I go and find her and she, instead of grabbing like, you know, the stuff that like her clothes and, and like her, you know, jewelry or anything like of value, she's just grabbing baby pictures of me. And I'm sitting there looking at like all the stuff I grabbed. And it's, you know, again, it's like my clothes, my shoes, all my stuff. And then I'm noticing kind of what she's grabbing. And 
anyway, that was something that like really stuck with me. But yeah, so we evacuated a couple hours south down to like closer in LA and got into a hospital or into a uh, hotel and I was exhausted. So I just like immediately fell asleep. And yeah, just about three, four hours later, I wake up to my mom shaking me once again for the second time in that day. And now it's like, you know, 12, one o'clock and the news is on. And my mom points and says, that's our house on the news burning down. And I was sitting right next to her and we literally watched our home go up in flames. And um, yeah, man, it was, you know, such a devastating thing. And, and obviously something that as I think is, I think it impacted me in more ways than I can really say. But the most, most importantly, and kind of to reiterate what I've already said is like, you're, you're able-bodied, you're healthy, you're with your family, everyone's, you know, okay. And yeah, you lost material things that can be replaced. And I thought a lot about Luke in that moment. And I thought about a lot, you know, I thought a lot about how he, you know, the lessons I learned from him were that you could just can't give up and you just have to keep going. And yeah, I just, I just realized then that I wanted to use the book that I had written about him to then give to others. And so, you know, I had all this like press tour put together and I was going and doing all these speaking events and we were like getting ready to cancel everything when instead we decided like, you know what, instead of doing that, what, how strong would it be if that next night, even though I didn't have a house to live in, I still went to that speaking engagement and just delivered the message of my life. And uh, that was the day we decided to donate 100% of my sales from my first book to the Woolsey Fire Disaster Relief for the American Red Cross. And then this book just became an amazing fundraiser. And then I ended up becoming a national ambassador for the American Red Cross. And I traveled to them with all the other burn sites around the state of California. And, um, you know, I got to meet people from like other fires and other disasters and you know, I'm still, they, I, I call them my red crossers. I'm still very close with all my red crossers I met. And uh, yeah, it just ended up, you know, once again, becoming like a, a great blessing out of something that was, you know, a terrible circumstance. But well, yeah, thank God your your mother decided to make that decision to evacuate when she did. Cause yeah, yeah. It could have sure. been a lot closer to uh, not getting out. Well, we were going to, we were going to wait. Um, and uh you know, I think we, we had pushed it pretty far, to be honest. Like, I remember kind of being staying up through the night and watching the news and people were saying, oh, you should evacuate, you shouldn't. And we were like, no way, let's just stay. And yeah, I mean, we were watching it closely for some time um, until eventually it got to the point where it was like not an option. Um, but again, even then, you're still thinking like, all right, you know, maybe it'll get close, <laughs> well, yeah. to redirect it. Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's one of those weird things like with life where you're like, yeah. All right. Fine. I'll do it. But nothing bad's going to happen. And then bad shit happens. And you're like, oh, man, I'm glad I, I made that decision. But yeah. you never think that that's what's going to happen when, you know, when those chips are down like that. Well, and that's that's a really important thing to bring up and like something to think about, too. Is I mean, that's just that's just tragedy in general is yeah. it can't be me. You know, I was just doing this and then all of a sudden, boom, my life changed in an instant. That's sort of how that all unfolds. And I think I've learned that after not just going through something like that, but also, like I said, meeting others that have been through these situations. Like I ended up meeting all these other people that had houses that burned down 
And now that's what brought them to the Red Cross. And now that's what they do on a daily basis. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it just kind of struck out of nowhere. But, you know, that's I mean, you look at these people that went just went through this uh, hurricane in Florida, right? Like that was, you know, something that a lot of people I'm sure were just underestimating or maybe were felt like, you know, it might affect this area, but not us. And then there they are. So. So you mentioned your first book, Moonflower, a few times. Yeah, I, I picked it up. So let's talk about this before we get into your new book. This this is a true story. You just changed the names for. Yeah, I would say for for clarity purposes, yes. Every person in that novel is based on a real person. Now, the story itself that unfolds is fiction, but each of the instances and ideas that came from it we're actually real people, but yeah, the names are different. The kind of exact orientation are kind of like um, sequence of events per, is, is the, the main thing that I sort of brought together in order to make it a story. Like a lot of the things that happened in that book took place over years where, and, and happened at different times. But for the book's sake, I made it like a one year timeline. Uh, okay. So it made more sense, but yeah. Yeah, I just I just got it the other day, so I, I only read the first chapter so far about you meeting the girl at college. Um, you, it's I haven't read in a long time, but I'm I'm trying to get back into it. And the way that this reads is like it was easy to read. It wasn't. It makes me want like I want to know what happens next. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm never going to pick this up again. Like some of these other books that are on my shelf here. <laughs> hey well i appreciate that man that's a big compliment i uh i often say like the book i wrote that book when i was you know i started writing when i was 21 and it reads like someone who's 21 wrote it and i love that like i i try not to get out of my comfort zone in terms of like the story i'm telling or or what i'm trying to do it's like hey man you know writing books and reading shouldn't be for that like the the people over there it's for everybody and i think that book is an example of that in a way hopefully that like yeah like i I want anybody i want non-readers readers readers, anybody who you know is looking for a story to kind of help them escape uh to check out and i think that's a big part of who i am is like you know this is this is uh this is not impossible to do and you know hopefully uh a lot of people will feel inspired to write a story of their own yeah i was gonna say um your background is a basketball player right yeah. Oh, yeah. Did oh, you yeah. take like writing classes or anything? Or was this just like, uh, did you get help from someone or did you just plow through this with that optimism you have? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. Uh, and something that I, you know, I like, I'm very, I'm very transparent on. So I'd say, first of all, you're not the only person who has put together that, that was like a totally left field turn. Yeah. It's so out of character for who I am. <laughs> Um, believe me, like I have had so many people that were just shocked by that <laughs> because I was like, not, you know, I was not the student ever. I, I never. Well, t- yeah. I'm assuming you were like a sports medicine uh, guy, right? In college. Um, well, I was a sociology major, so that had quite a bit of writing in it actually. But oh, okay. Oh, well, see, that does make a little sense then. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I, you know, to be honest, like I think a, a big part of you know why the book and why writing and then how everything has sort of spiraled into today is um, just this sort of this sort of concept that um, 
it's it's all on you ultimately to put the pieces together to make the life you want. You know, with my first book, it's it sort of it sort of came together in two ways that make sense. It's like number one, uh, you know, now that I've stated that I wasn't a writer and that <laughs> not everything about this is pretty crazy. So with that, to keep that in mind as I expl- try to explain it, but looking back, there were sort of two things in play that at work were pretty impactful. Number one, I loved reading. I was always a reader and I always just loved having books with me. And as an athlete, I was on the road so much traveling for sports. So like you talk about, you know, in high school, it's obviously pretty local. But then once I got to college, I was flying to, you know, Texas to play Texas A&M or Pittsburgh and playing the University of you know, Pittsburgh and everywhere in New York, Alaska. I mean, we were all over the place and I always had a book with me and I would just find these moments to read more as like meditation uh, than anything in a way that like, you know, was just kind of like helped me step out of the macho bravado, of like right. division one college sports. Yeah, it's, and, the, uh, uh, it's the escapism. Yeah, for sure. And, and that, and reading was that for me, you know, significantly. And then the other thing that kind of like started to happen was I actually just fell in love with writing letters. Uh, I used to write letters to like all my friends and uh, just to like say hello or thank you or just to check in. And that again was like, like you said, that escapism and I would hand write them. And, you know, as I know you said you started reading Moonflower, but then I sort of met this girl that I just sort of like had this amazing sort of bond with uh, and she went to study abroad in Rome so I started writing her letters all the time and it got to the point where I was like writing too many letters for her to keep up and like respond to me in time <laughs> with. And I was reading a book at the time that was like this sort of best selling book. And, um, you know, it was like a really terrific read. And I, I, I don't, I don't mean this in a bad way, but I remember thinking like, you know what? I could write a better book than this. Like, I think I have a story that's better than this. And I think once you get that idea, like in your head, you sort of go, well, if I don't do it, then I'm going to, the only person I can really blame is myself. And once that like spark struck, it was over. And instead of writing letters to this, to my friends, I just started writing a book and I actually hand wrote the entire first draft of Moonflower of also my new book, Darling, You're Not Alone. And yeah, it's kind of become my process ever since, so. Well, Tolkien hand wrote all his books too, so you're in good company. Yep, and Tarantino is another one. And, uh, um, J.K. Rowling's. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. She, she a... <laughs> yeah, she was busy writing hers on like napkins. I mean, she yeah. was really gritty with that. But anyway, I have a question on completely unrelated to um, the work that the brilliant work that you've been putting out. Once you hand wrote that. How did you get that onto a computer? Because I have something that I have to scan. It's 105 pages, okay. and I'm trying to do that very same fucking thing. Well, it's so funny, man. So these are great questions, too, because this, this is like the, the next step, like deeper into my crazy process that like actually makes me sound like I'm insane. And I've kind of accepted that maybe I am a little bit crazy for doing it this way. But so what I do is... So pencil and paper, 
handwrite it. And I get these like, they're, they're books, they're actual books, but they're empty. And that's, you know, I, I think it's important to say this because there's like a few different reasons why. Number one, as you write it in, and you handwrite it, you can see your progress. So uh, mentally, I think it's like a trick of showing yourself, hey, I'm, I'm five pages closer to a novel today than I was yesterday, or I'm just two pages closer. But you can, every day you open up that book to work on it, you can literally see it, which I think is, you know, it's huge because I think the problem most people have when they sit down to write a book is they're typing and they're, they just feel like they're lost and they don't remember what they wrote yesterday. So I think handwriting it helps keep your place. It also gets you away from technology, which is another thing I talk about is like the distraction of emails and texts and calls like that will just derail your creativity altogether. So if you can just sit and write and even if it's for just 45 minutes, you'll get so much done in that small that small period of time. But to answer your question, how do I get it onto a onto a laptop after this is the most frustrating and ridiculous process, but it, Tell it, me about it. Yeah, this is exactly this is exactly how I do it. Is I so I finish handwriting it, and then I take photos on my iPhone of every single page in the entire book, and I you know number them page one, two, three, four, five, all the way to three hundred and eighty or whatever, and then I then I make a folder on my laptop that says you know darling you're not alone handwritten copy put them all in that folder and then it's good it's cool because I, I can see where my hands are on the screen here so then on my on one side of the laptop i'll pull up you know a word a standard word document so i have it has half the screen and the other half is a photo of page one and I, I'll just transfer it manually, every single page. But what I do with that is I'll make a lot of changes. So like, you know, on page 75, I decided instead of having the character do this, you know, or have red hair, now he has brown hair. Then I can go back on that second draft and change everything from page one moving forward. So that's like my excuse to have a second draft is I'm changing things as I'm like taking it from the handwritten. Uh, and putting it into a laptop. So it's a bit, yeah, I mean, I guess as I kind of explained it, probably a better way to think of it is like, it really is like an outline in a sense. And then I start actually writing the book when I type it, but. Sure. Now, when you, when you do that, when you do that process, when you transfer it from the, when you take the picture of it and move it over to your computer, will you make the edits in the book, like, will you will you take your pencil and cross out, make edits in the book, so you know what you changed? No, no, no. I I sort of, I mean, sometimes, rarely, I'll write in the margins of the handwritten copy, like, hey, here, let's do this differently. But I think, and this and this kind of goes back to the you know the earlier question about like, you know, how did you write books and where did that come from? That, I have a firm belief in this too. Is if I were, or I think any writer, no offense to them, but if I were like some gifted savant, English major writer, you know, really like well put together, uh, you know, grammatically sound writer, um, I don't think I'd ever write a book because a perfectionist would be so focused on their past mistakes that they couldn't move forward. So my first drafts are like, 
you know, misspelling the 15 times and, <laughs> and putting 28 ands in my, you know, there's no adjectives, the verbs are all the same, but I'm just so, you know, banging my head against the wall of like, all right, let's just keep moving forward. Um, so yeah, I leave it as like rough and dirty as possible. And I always tell them, you know, we'll go back and clean that up at a later time. And yeah, that's just that maybe that's not how other authors are. And, uh, you know, I can't speak for them, but for me, that's like actually a helpful part of, you know, you kind of have that ignorance is bliss. And with my first book, like I was able to just power through because I wasn't focused on the, the bad stuff. I just kept working on it, you know, day and night. That's awesome, man. Um, going back to what you said earlier about you writing letters to your friends and uh, family and stuff, <laughs> would you then receive a text back? Hey, I got your, I got your letter. <laughs> yes, man. <laughs> Most often it is a text. It's like, Hey, I got your letters. You're, you're the man. Thank you. you know? <laughs> I'm like, all right, cool. But no, I mean, I, you know, look, I, uh, I occasionally do get the letters back. And those are awesome. And it's so, you know, I have a wall actually in my office that I have all the letters I've ever gotten and I hang on to them. And, uh, you know, I do get a lot of them in return, but yeah, I do, I do get some texts <laughs> back that say, and I had actually a friend once who was like, you know, man, you could just call me like, if you know, because by the time <laughs> I got your, your, your letter, a lot had happened and I had some stuff I had to tell you. So maybe, and I'm, and, you know, we, had a little argument on that but <laughs> no i think it's great man that you're doing that especially in this day and age uh where everyone has their head in their phone like i have a nephew yeah. he's 15 and you know it's you can you can't talk to him he's constantly in his phone and then like he's always laughing like he, he's always constantly laughing whatever he's looking at and then if i look walk over his shoulder he goes like this yeah he turns his phone i'm like what are you laughing at nothing I'm like, you don't have to hide from me. I'm like, I'm cool. You can show me. Yeah, you can show me the memes you're looking at. Yeah, I mean, you know, I have a lot to say about that. I think it's it's terrible. It's it's really sad. Uh, it, it takes away from like people spend their whole lives like this and they're never looking up at the beautiful world around them. And I mean, look, I, and I don't mean this as like a, as like a, sort of forced bridge into my new book but it is true it's like it's a huge part of the reason why I wrote Darling You're Not Alone and have this letter component to it and this idea of like you know there's a really there's a really beautiful world out there and there's a lot of good things happening and I think unfortunately the social media side of things although it leads to some incredible bonds and connections and you know I use it all the time and I love it and it's great but I think it's sort of perpetuates and forces this angst on people where every, every headline is there's another tragedy happening in this place or that place, or the world's ending over here. And, you know, you know, just constantly critiquing and badgering people that are trying to do something good and just, you know, knocking them. I think a lot of that stuff gets perpetuated. And I think that it's, it's hard to forget how wonderful this world is and how, many beautiful things happen on a daily basis that don't get that attention, like don't get that time of day. And that's a big part of what I'm trying to to tell people is like, Hey, you know, that person that served you the coffee you got this morning that, you know, you had that 15 second interaction with they're, they're a real person. They have a story. 
And maybe you shouldn't just be looking at your phone the whole time you're ordering. Maybe you should try to remember their names. So the next time you see them, you can wish them, you know, have a great day. Like, how, how hard is that? How hard are some of these little insignificant uh, moments we have in life that we miss because we're staring at a phone? You know, and I, I'm, I'm not perfect. I, I definitely still accidentally do that. And I try to check myself on it, too. But, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's weird, man. We got we to do better. Yeah, I think it's easier for my generation because I'm 50 and I grew up before cell phones, you know. So for me, dealing with waitresses or a person at a counter when I'm buying something at Walmart, uh, I think it's a lot easier for me to engage with another human being than uh, people your age or much younger. I just think uh, they didn't grow up that way. They're just so used to. Everything like there's people who work at home now who never leave the house because their groceries are delivered. Yeah. And they can pay all their bills online and they literally never leave their home. I think that's yeah. insane. It is, man. And look, like and even to say a step further, it's it's like dating. It's now everyone's obsessed with like these apps. Like the idea of approaching a stranger and saying, Hey, like, you know, could I, could I get you a cup of coffee or like, you know, Hey, like I'm, yeah. I'm JD, like, who are you? I mean, that is like a lost art in our society. And that is horrifying to me too, because I think that like, I, I refer to it as the 15 seconds of courage where you have to <laughs> risk being yes. told like, you know, Hey, I'm not interested or, I, you know, it's like no problem. I mean, you got to just take that on the chin and move on. And yeah. um, we've lost that. Like we've lost, yeah, I mean, you're totally right. Like the idea of never leaving your home is the most horrifying thing to me. Yet some people are looking for careers that just just allow that. Yeah, yeah to that's... not interact with other human beings it seems ludicrous to me. Yeah, for sure. No, I agree. It's horrible. Uh... <laughs> Do you like drinking beer in the garage with your friends on a Friday night and just talking about movies, music, pop culture in general? Well then, my friends, I have a great podcast for you to check out. It's called the Tencent Bear Night Podcast. My name is Ray. I am the host, and I set out to prove things beyond a shadow of a doubt every time I do one of these things. So let's hang out. Let's talk about the Luke Strong Foundation. Yeah, man, I would love to. The Luke Strong Foundation is named after my uh, best friend, my, my guy, man, who tragically passed away from sickle cell disease at the age of 10. You know, he was an incredible kid. I mean, I really can't speak more highly of him and who he was to me. And, um, you know, he's a big part of everything I'm doing even still. And, you know, like I said, my first book, Moonflower, was based off my friendship with Luke. But his parents, Stacy and Matt, who are I'm incredibly close with still, um, I talk to them almost every day, uh, founded uh, the Luke Strong Foundation. Uh, named after Luke, which supports children that are diagnosed with sickle cell disease. Um, and it's a nonprofit. And I'm also the director of relationship development for this nonprofit. So I get to represent them at like charity events and community fundraising things. And I also go back to my old high school where Luke and I met and even the elementary school that Luke attended and all these schools all over the place. I'm actually getting ready to go to San Francisco next week to give some more speeches you know, it's a big part of my life is talking about this illness because one of the most important things, and you know, this is something that Luke's mom and I discuss frequently is for those of you that don't know, and sickle cell disease is a genetic illness that you're born with and it affects the shape of your blood. So it makes your blood uh, 
the hemoglobin sickle sickle shaped, meaning that like it doesn't flow properly. So it gives you all these kind of terrible complications. And the only known cure is a bone marrow transplant. And the, the kind of the main part I was going to get to is it's a 95% African-American disorder. And because of that, there's an argument that, I, you know, there's a lot of data that suggests that it's severely underfunded for that reason. And what better person to sort of champion this cause and bring it to light is someone like myself that could never get sickle cell disease. And all of the people that I meet have known nothing about it. Um, and it's, you know, it's kind of out of an ignorance too. And like, I, I knew nothing about sickle cell disease before I met Luke. And I learned so much about it, obviously through him, that it just seems like a really worthy cause to me uh, to say, you know what, like, I'm going to go out and try to educate people on this because um, they probably don't know about it either. And uh, yeah, it's a, that's definitely a part of my career and life is uh, trying to help all these other people because, you know, there's thousands and thousands of kids that are still, you know, dealing with this illness and need more funding and care than they're currently getting. So I think it's a worthy cause. Yeah, it's great what you're doing, man. And um, going back to what you said earlier, I remember what I was wanted to say um, about social media. Unfortunately, with things that like we do, um, you need we need social media like to promote for sure. for sure everything that we do. You know? Yeah. No. And look, like I, I can I could you know be a bear and and just like rip it all I want, but I use it all the time too. And it and it's believe me, it's led to and open doors that I wouldn't have dreamed been possible. So I think it has a place, but I think we have to remember like that, you know, that you just got to keep in mind, like the, the kind of portion of it that is kind of this dark side that isn't really real. And then there's other sides of it that are really tremendous and great. So you have to kind of use it properly. And, you know, it's like moderation in anything. I mean, you can overdo anything if you use it too much. So I think it is, but it has led to some amazing connections and things. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Talking a little bit about uh, getting off the grid, what do you actually do for fun when you do have a little downtime? What's something you love to do that that these people can uh, you know relate to? What, what do you got there? For sure. That's a good question. Um, well, I'll, I'll definitely tell you this. I don't play basketball anymore. That's <laughs> so like left me and I'm done with it. And huh. I, I, I don't, I mean, I love my career and my time as a player, but um, what do I do for fun? I mean, I love to travel. I love to travel. I'm an avid traveler, like seeing the world. That's kind of when I unplug the most and just sort of like get out of my crazy tunnel vision, like, you know, lifestyle I live. Um, so does that mean we're going to get into photography then? I, I could see that. I mean, I, uh, I think, I think, I, I mean, I'm more like a, like as a traveler, traveler, I'm more of the camp of like, you know, I'm not the go to Europe and go to 18 cities in 15 days type. It's like, go to one place, go to the, the restaurant or the pub down the street hmm. out of the six nights you're there, go five of them talk to every single local, ask them what they do for fun and go out with them or go to the restaurants they tell you to. And like, don't, and, and I'm, you know, not staying like the fanciest hotel, like go somewhere that you can, you know, you know, like, so I was just in Ireland and I'm Irish clearly. And 
Um, I've always, I mean, I've just always, no. yeah, I've always just wanted to go and see a bunch of other redheads. And, uh, <laughs> I, uh, went and, you know, I was in Dublin and it was raining and, uh, there wasn't much going on, but I ended up going down to this, like, you know, the first restaurant I could find that was like nearest to where I was staying. And I was talking to these waiters that were working there and, you know, they ended up like giving me all these amazing recommendations where me and my buddies went out that night with them. And uh, I ended up being like one of the best nights of my life. And every single time I met a redhead, I took a picture with him. So I have on my phone, like a stream of like 15 pictures of me and redheads. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's, but that's, I think something that I kind of preach is like, you got to throw yourself in, you know, into the deep end and just, and just swim. So uh, that's kind of how I like to, let loose i guess uh, is just travel what's on your bucket list for travel what's left what's the big one uh australia is somewhere i really want to go i've never been um gosh where else i mean I'm, i love paris paris is probably my favorite city in the world i'm a big hemingway fan so like spending time there and fitzgerald is another one but i have been there before uh spain i've never been to spain i want to go there and um, Germany would be pretty sweet too. So, very cool. All right, Casey, I'm going to shut up now. Go ahead, ask <laughs> all good, all good, brother. Um, shit, now I forget where I was. Um, <clears throat> oh, I have do you ever that thought to him about, all the time? Have you ever thought about doing something like this, like a, a podcast? You, I mean, you love meeting all all these different people, and like you could be like uh, JD on the street or something. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I think. So I almost had a podcast for a bit, but we decided to scrap it. Um, I just kind of got too busy with the books to uh, put like too much effort into it. Um, but yeah, I think down the road, uh, I would love to, man. I mean, I think I think uh, I really kind of have two sides of like my personality. One is like the recluse, you know, listen to sad music and write books and like, you know, just spend all my time focusing on one thing. And the other part of me is just like going out there and, you know, speaking to thousands of kids and, and, and traveling and meeting new people and talking frequently. And so I think I've got, I've got the book side established and it would be cool to maybe get that other side more established in this format that you guys have too. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Hey, if you, if you need a third host, man, maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe we could talk after this and uh, you guys get me on, but. Um, yeah, I think you. I think you do. I think you would have a good show, for sure. I appreciate that. I. Uh, I mean, yeah. I. I listen to a bit of uh, uh, some of the stuff you like too, and I, mean, I don't know if you guys are Joe Rogan fans, but the way he does oh, sure. is, is incredible. And like, I think the podcast format is so interesting to me because, like, you kind of hear less about the the stuff that people are pushing and more about the actual person for the first yep. time. And like, I don't know. I'm so fascinated by that. I would sit and watch Joe Rogan for like three hours straight. <laughs> well, <laughs> most of his shows are that long. So yeah. Yeah. Um, that's what, that's what Ray and I like. Uh, that's sort of why Ray and I got together. We had uh, former co-hosts uh, prior to joining forces and they were more focused on that exact thing like they yeah. would talk about moonflower and darling you're not alone and that would be 
it and the show would, would be over. Yeah, that would be the interview. Which is, yeah, I mean, and like, which is cool. But I know personally, like what I, you know, as a listener, I think it's really interesting to hear more about the people themselves. Yeah. Um, and Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, so, um, I, I think it's cool. I think it's cool how you guys run it. And uh, uh, I'm, I'm happy to, I'm happy to entertain <laughs> that side of it too, man. So this has been really fun. I'm really enjoying it. Thanks, man. We appreciate it. And I really like what you're doing with the Luke Strong uh, Foundation, uh, going back to that, because um, like you said, I'm, I don't know anything about it, you know? So interviewing you, even just doing this little bit of research that I did for your interview, um, I found out a little bit more about it, you know? So, well, and, um, and also it helps. Um, it doesn't help a gigantic amount, but it also, our listeners now have also found out information that they probably didn't know. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, I mean, every little bit helps. Hundred percent. I mean, it's you know, it's 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 really uh, you know, I'm working on some some kind of some stuff regarding the Luke Strong Foundation currently, and I was actually working on it this morning, and you know, before we obviously are talking now, and it was sort of reminding me just about some of those early days once again that were so long ago, about you know, ten years ago, we're talking, and man, like one of the things I wrote about was how when I first went to see Luke in the hospital, how, uh, you know, I'd never been to a children's hospital before. And I was going down to a children's hospital in Los Angeles. And uh, I got up to the fourth floor, which was like the isolation ward of the hospital. So everyone there is in like an extended stay, like they can't leave their room. And I just remember walking down the hall and seeing all the other little kids there uh, looking at me, like with their eyes. And I remember, so Luke was six at the time. I remember seeing kids even younger than that, like two, three, four, six months, you know, you name it. And there were, every room was filled. And there's something about like you go and do that and then you leave. And suddenly like that email that you hadn't heard back from that potential job or your girlfriend, you hadn't called you back yet. It's like, you know what? That doesn't really matter at all. I'm just so lucky to be able to walk out of here on my two feet. And yeah, part of my life has been like realizing, you know, and it's not a bad thing, but most of us haven't seen that, haven't experienced that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've made it sort of my mission to say, you know what, I'm going to make sure every person in the world knows about Luke Bodden and um, his story and his bravery. So yeah, I, I say it with the idea of like, his message is still important to keep alive. That's awesome, man. Yeah. What you do is uh, incredible, man. Like I'll watch a video of uh, someone like you or, you know, a video of you going into those places and I'll just start, I'll break down. And my girlfriend is like, are you crying right now? <laughs> it's like, like, I don't know how you do it, man. Yeah. That was, that was something I was going to point out. Uh, any hospital is one of the toughest places you can walk through without uh, having a mental breakdown. And it takes a very strong person to walk into those places and talk to, especially kids and just not lose your shit and just hold it together. That's to me, that's the definition of strong. That's uh that's harder than playing basketball or football or anything. To, to walk through those places and, and keep your shit together and give those kids hope, that's amazing. That is the definition of strong. 
Thank you, guys. I mean, look, I uh, I appreciate that a lot. I mean, seriously, and I'm not just saying that. It, it goes a long way, and you know, I feel like I've got more good left to do. I mean, this is just a start, and uh, I'm looking I'm looking forward to like all that's ahead. But you know, it, it sort of gave me like the the sort of fuel I think to just really push like my limits with everything I'm trying to do. I, I don't feel like it's ever draining. It's actually quite the opposite. It's like when I go and do some of these things, um, I reach like a second gear or like a you know second wind almost that I could stay up till three in the morning working on the next book and realize I'm like, this is going to help a lot of people. Like when I get this into the hands, I, I know that I need it. And so, yeah, I kind of have become a bit obsessive with like everything I'm doing, knowing the impact it can make. And so, you know, I, I kind of don't let... Uh, maybe what might stop other people and, you know, what maybe seemed like a door closed is someone I, I don't let that stop me. And uh, it's very motivating because I also have seen some of these kids that didn't give up. I mean, and what they went through and like who they are and, you know, just like to keep in mind, I mean, this is something I think is really important to share too. Is like, you know, I met Luke when he was six and I was 17 and I knew him for four years. So from six to 10 years old, and I would go to the hospital to see him. I mean, probably I would say on average, like about once a month. And when I would go and visit, all his buddies would, would come and visit too, who were, you know, like the same age, six, seven, eight, nine. Those kids now are seniors in high school, juniors in high school. And I still talk to them. Like I still text with them. And, you know, every, every time his anniversary comes up, I'm talking to their parents and they're like, hey, you know, He's not having such a great day. Could you come by and talk to him? Or, you know, could you, you know, these are kids that are still in my life and uh, I'm going to their graduations and, uh, you know, I'm seeing them all the time. And I, I was just in some of their classrooms a month ago. Um, and uh, they, like, we inspire each other. Like, it's, a, it's like this community now where we all kind of help, you know, when we're having a tough day, right? When it does, like, you feel like you just don't want to get up. I get up for them. Like, I get up for the, the, the kids that are younger than me that had to move on. That's awesome, man. Yeah, it's, uh, like Ray said, st- like, it's just a strong, strong person to do do something like that. Like, I, I would I would want to do something like that. I just know I couldn't. I would I would just break down. I, uh... I think I was, to be honest with you, I was also uh, hesitant to take on a lot of this in the beginning. Like, I think when I met Luke, I was sort of, I, I didn't, I put it, I kind of like didn't want to believe he, he, he liked me that much. Like he believed in me that much. Like I, I kind of, you know, would hear him say the things like, you know, you're the last person I wanted to meet or, um, you know, I want to see you and, and do, and kind of do all these things. And I didn't, I didn't. I didn't, I wasn't sure I was ready to take that on, but God, it just, it it kind of over time became something that I started to really realize, like, this might be the most important thing I ever do in my life is be there for, cause this, he might not have very long. And, um, I kind of just put that, put, you know, as hard as it was and as tough as it was on me, I, uh, did it anyway. And another really cool thing that's worth mentioning is I also kind of maybe for my own good too brought friends of mine along with me that I knew would be positive forces for him. And they helped me too. And, and one of them, his name is Gabe Vincent, was my teammate in college. And he used to come with me all the time 
And now he's playing in the NBA. And he's every every game he goes out there, he plays for the Miami. He he's got his Luke Strong band on his on his wrist. Awesome. And yeah, it's like you see the impact this kid had on so many people. Yeah, you, know, you realize, dang man, this was really this was really amazing. Very cool. And he met you in while you were in high school? He f- Yeah, that's right. So Luke Luke and I met. I was a senior in high school. So the story the story is I was a senior in high school, you know, <laughs> cracking jokes, getting detention slips, you know, showing up late to the prom, doing all the, you know, the standard like jock high school drama. And uh, this girl who I'd never met came up to me after one of my games and said, hey, my little brother wants to meet you and play basketball with you. And I was sort of like, sure, you know, I'll get around to it when I can. Like, I'm pretty busy. You know, I'm kind of a big deal. I don't know if you knew that. And she's <laughs> like, no, it has to happen. And it has to happen next week. And I was like, why does it have to happen next week? And she said, my little brother's six years old. And he has sickle cell disease. And the last thing that he wants to do is meet you and play basketball with you. And I came home and was talking to my parents and I told them and they were like, JD, you got to play basketball with this kid. Like you have to do this. And, you know, I'm very honest about how I was like pretty hesitant. I was like, wow, this is a huge thing. And so I went and met Luke and played basketball with him. And, uh, you know, I, I sort of felt like my good deed was done. Like I, I, I played basketball with this kid and he was going into the hospital and yeah, you know, and like I, I had to, my own life to worry about. And, but there was, and I, this is what, this is really what happened was I committed to UC Santa Barbara to play in college six, about six months later. And for some reason, it was the only thing I could think about was this kid and like telling him and sharing this news with him. And like, I, I was like, I got to go and see him. And I hadn't even met his parents yet. So I called up his sister and said, Hey, could you set up a time for me to come and see Luke? And even she was like, you know, I don't know if you should, because he can't even leave his room. Like he, he is, a, he's in an isolation ward. And, you know, I said, look, like, I just, I just want to tell him, I just want to tell him I'm, I'm going to college to play. And she said, she finally sort of agreed And I drove down to the hospital and, you know, like I said, I had that moment where I was walking down the hall and seeing all these other sick little kids. And that was when I kind of quickly realized like I was in way over my head because at this time now I'm, you know, I'm 18. And um, then this was the moment guys was I got to his room and I could actually see inside his hospital room before he could see me. And when I looked in there, he had one photo above his hospital bed and it was a photo of me and him the day we met and played basketball together. And that, that truly was the moment when I said, if I don't do anything in this life, but be there for this kid, then that's, that's okay. Cause he, if he really thinks that of me, and this was, this was me seeing this, you know, with my own two eyes without him knowing I was even standing like, you know, five feet away from him. And, uh, yeah, I, that, that was the moment I made a vow to myself. I said, I'll, I'll be, I'll, I'll be by this kid as long as he's here. That's awesome, man. Uh, uh, how old was he when he passed? Uh, 10. So I, he was just a kid, but did you, did you ever like talk to him and say like, how did I become your guy? Like how oh God, man. <laughs> Look, 
I, I, I've given you guys a lot of heavy stories, but let me tell you something about Luke Bodden, man. He had the snappiest personality I've ever met. He, you guys are going to love this. He would like, he would like talk trash to me after my game. <laughs> five points and he'd be like, dude, if you would have made those lips, we would have had 30. Like what happened in the second half? And I'd be like, man, aren't you six years old? Like how, how do you remember that? So, yeah, we just kind of had this, like, he would rib me constantly with, like, all sorts of stuff. And, you know, he'd be, he'd be like, talking to me about some girl I was interested in. He's like, dude, you just got to ask her out, man. I'm like, you can't. You gotta... <laughs> I'm like, dude, why are you – why do I feel like you're older than me? His mom would always share with me after I'd leave because I'd always feel like, dang, man, this kid is so hard on me. Like, how <laughs> – I don't know why, you know, are you sure he really likes me? <laughs> uh, his mom would always share with me, like, the minute I left, she would, he would just be glowing with, like, the stories I told him or, you know, the, the UCSB gear I brought him. And we had, we saw his favorite, he was obsessed with food. He was, like, he had the palate of an adult. Like, it was unbelievable. And so when he got out of the hospital, uh, that was what we always did together is we'd go to, like, these places to eat, and his favorite food was pizza. So after every single game I played in college, we would go and have pizza together. And we, we'd have like a pretty big table, like, you know, 10 of us, because I'd bring some teammates. Luke always made sure he had the seat right next to me. And uh, he would like be whispering to me and like telling me, you know, asking me about what's really going on. And um, yeah, man, he, I mean, I, like, I hope this doesn't even sound cliche, but like he was like a little guardian angel. Like he really wasn't, he was like bigger than reality. I mean, it was, it was crazy to be around him and uh, man, I miss him. I miss him just talking about these stories. It's, it's, yeah, he was powerful. Awesome, man. Well, keep up the the great work with what you're doing with, uh, with that, as far as going to see the kids and in the hospitals and all that stuff. Let's talk about this new book. So the, uh, Moonflower was real, although, yeah. you know, yeah. not, not in order, you know, maybe, or, uh, took longer than the book is, but uh, everything in that book happened. Darling, you're not alone. The book coming out November 3rd yep. is completely fictional. Yeah, man. Look, and it, it, you know, a friend of mine who's also like my manager and sort of um, does a lot of like, I mean, a ton of stuff with me, like more than I could ever say. And, you know, if he's listening, Chris Veronis, you're, you're my guy, man. I appreciate you constantly. But um, he actually said this best after he read it was he goes, this is really your first experience with actual fiction, um, which I think at the time I hadn't realized. But yeah, Moonflower was, you know, there was so much of it that was taken from like, real experiences and real situations I had with people where this book is entirely made up. Like every single element that I took and brought into this story is something that I just created out of thin air. And I got to be honest too, a part of that has been interesting for me because when I was out speaking about and promoting my first book, it was very easy for me to talk about all the stories I just shared with you guys about Luke and where this idea came from. But this one, it's been harder for me to put my finger on exactly like where these ideas came from. Not to stop you guys from like, oh, you know, I'm happy, to, I'm happy to try and uh, articulate that. But yeah, it has been interesting to figure out like, okay, like, you know, how how did these ideas percolate into this novel? So, 
what was the process like? You still the same thing? You wrote everything in a, in the composition book? Yeah. And... <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, a big part of my um, a big part of this book is gun violence, and in particular, school shooting that does happen and takes place in this story. And although I feel like there's you know, much, much more qualified people that could tell you about like the statistics and, you know, what should be done about gun control. And it's a very, it's a very charged topic. What I do talk about and, and, you know, feel very passionate about is just how I sort of feel when these things take place. And I was just in a time when a friend of mine had had both of her parents uh, shot in the Vegas shooting in Harvest. Uh, I think it was they called the Harvest 91 uh, Festival in 2017. And um, I was just so, and they both, I'll, I'll just say now, they both survived, uh, which is amazing. And they're both doing fine and, and they both made full recoveries. Um, but I was just so uh, drawn and, and upset by this tragedy that I kind of bookmarked in my own head that I would one day write a book about uh a school shooting. And I think it is on, unfortunately on so many minds today of parents as a fear that, you know, one day your kid could go to school and then they never come home again. And it's just so terrible that we live in a world where that is a reality, but in kind of conjunction with everything we've discussed is like my whole philosophy is really bad things can happen. And so too must really, really great things. And Darling, You're Not Alone is the story about what I feel like is the worst side of humanity, which is school shootings. And hopefully the best thing that can happen, which is perhaps this sort of magical ethereal element that's also a part of this book that um, I think people that read, you know, I'll save that for when people read it to talk more about, but it's kind of this balance between those two things. So yeah, I look forward to reading it, reading it, man. Uh, Ray, he mentioned something that you probably have to deal with having young kids. Like, that's something that we we like when we were kids. We had tornado drills or, or hurricane drills. They have they have school yeah. shooting drills now. Yeah, when I was a kid, we did the tornado drill where we just got under the desk. Which, yeah, what, what would that do? Nothing. <laughs> but yeah, my kids, uh, my daughter's eighteen, my youngest is ten. And uh, they do the drills for a school shooting. And to me, that just boggles my mind because that's not something kids should have to be worried about. No. It's so sad, man. I mean, I I did a fair bit of research on a lot of these tragedies while writing this book. And Columbine was one of the ones I researched the most because my novel, Darling and Our Alone, takes place in Colorado. And I actually visited... Uh, Columbine High School while I was sort of researching and putting together my beginnings of this story. And one of the things I visited, there's a memorial there called the, the obviously the Columbine Memorial, because the school is still, for those of you that don't know, the school is still fully functioning. It's still called Columbine High School. There's students that go there. And um, I went to the Columbine Memorial and they have messages and uh, carved into stone that are all a part of this memorial right beside the high school. And one of them really made me, I mean, it's, it's actually my phone screensaver. It, it rocked me so thoroughly to my core was it says, quote, 
I used to fight with my sister all the time. We used to argue a lot. Now I don't do that anymore. And then it says, end quote, it just says student of Columbine High School, 1999. And I think, I mean, that just like sent me to the floor and I just like couldn't, you know, I couldn't like walk away after reading that. But um, I think, and the reason I selected that date and that, that story, and, you know, my book also takes place in 1999 is that was really the one that set off this terrible sort of frequency of school shootings now that happen. I mean, with like a, like a alarming regularity um, because after Columbine, they, there was all these copycats that happened after that. And now they happen in States all over the uh, country. And uh, yeah, it's, it's horrifying that students now have to think about that. And, and like you said, parents, I mean, I couldn't imagine having kids that are going to high school and being concerned or, you know, elementary school. Right. I mean, Uvalde yeah. was something that took place. So yeah, yeah the the school shootings suffer from the same thing that uh, serial killers suffer from. These kids, they name the shooters. Right, 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 right. And yeah. other disillusioned teens say to themselves, I can live forever if I do this. Right. Yep. And I wish that they would just stop using the shooters' names. Yeah, they need because to. Because the yeah. kids wouldn't get the idea that they become infamous if it was never released, who did it? No pictures, no names. Just let it go. Say these kids were disturbed, and we don't need to know who they were. And you would have a lot less copycats, both serial killers and school shooters. And it, it's just my opinion. No, it's a fair. It's a totally fair point. I think a lot of people think that. I think that's not. That's not uh, something that. I think people discuss that frequently. I think they're trying to do a better job of, of what you just said. Um, but you, I do think, unfortunately, sometimes that like different networks say different things and then all of a sudden, yeah, the message is out. And yeah, I mean, we got to find a way to, because I do think too, the over security and the over drilling and the over like, like now they're selling these bulletproof backpacks too. And yeah, I think that's, controversial as well so like there's a lot of different elements of like well how much do we put on these kids that are already dealing with a lot um and and force them to have to you know protect themselves i mean yeah it's it's a very hard topic to grapple with but again i have to be honest with you guys that's why i wanted to write this book was to bring a conversation to light and say i don't think this is okay and i don't know what the answer is but I do know we can't just ignore it. Like we can't mm-hmm. just stick our head in the sand and say, yeah, well, you know, sending our thoughts and prayers to this school or that <laughs> town or, or whatever. Like we have, we have to, we have to do better. Um, yeah. I th- I, you know, I think hopefully to anybody out there listening, like you gotta, you gotta love your, your kids. You gotta love your neighbors and we gotta do a better job at telling people we love them and, and, and not just sending them out the door and, and, and thinking that they're, going to come home again because unfortunately sometimes they don't and we have to just love and and live with compassion because uh it's a scary world yeah yeah unfortunately you know thoughts and prayers haven't helped anyone uh yeah in any of these situations so you know like you said what you know we don't know what the answer is it's just it's it's terrible situation but uh you saying that this is coming out or that you wrote this in the timeline of uh, 1999. That makes it even more interesting to me because I graduated in 1999 from high school. And like, 
So the Columbine high school, the, the shooting yeah. Yeah. that happened while I was in high school. Um, and like, I remember the changes that our school went through after that happened. Like we got metal detectors and all, they had security guards at the schools and all, you know, all that stuff. So like, yeah, I remember that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, I was born in 94, so I wasn't around really until much later, but, uh, actually at UC Santa Barbara, you know, where I went in 2014, there was a shooting there. Uh, that was the year before I arrived. Um, and, uh, yeah, six people were killed there in my hometown of Thousand Oaks. Uh, there was a shooting at the Borderline Bar and Grill in 20, I think it was 2017. Um, or no, sorry, it was actually 2019. It was the same year that Woolsey Fire happened. Uh, and then, yeah, and then I had my friend who both of her parents were shot in the Vegas shooting in 2017. So, like, everywhere I've gone, there's been this sort of tragedy. But when I started researching to write this book, uh, I saw that that's really not unique. Like we kind of all have either known someone or been in a place that has been impacted by this, this pandemic of sorts of, uh, you know, gun violence that's kind of plaguing our nation. And, um, you know, I think it's, uh, it's, it's really terrible. And, you know, because I think like there's so much tragedy that goes on and I think life is difficult. And I don't want to say like, you know, I don't want to belittle other you know, woes and tragedies, but the fact that, you know, there is this, this pandemic of people that enter these schools, these innocent and these innocent kids are killed is that's something I feel like we just can't stand. We can't live on with like, there are horrible things like car accidents and, uh, you know, these fires and tornadoes and hurricanes. Like we talked about that. Yeah. This, you know what, it's mother nature. And like, we, we, you know, sometimes these things just happen, but the gun violence thing, that's just like not something I think we can just say that's a, that's a, just a result of what we're living through. And yeah, I think something needs to be done. Yeah, absolutely, man. I 100% agree. JD, this has been awesome, man. You guys are awesome. We, we, I, we usually uh, don't get this heavy on the podcast, but we got a little heavy today, but it's all good. Yeah, it's a good Tell, topic. Yeah, it's good a, topic. It's Everyone needs topic. to. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me on, man. You guys were a total blast to chat with and uh, a lot of mutual interests. And uh, I hope I was able to bring some of that millennial energy for you guys. Well, the The next time we bring you on, you're not allowed to talk about anything serious. <laughs> All right. We're only talking movies, music, because I, I honestly think people need to get to know you a little better. So. Hey, I'd, I'd love would, for you to come back and, and just have a fun episode. We don't talk about the heavy stuff. Let's do it. I, hey, if you guys want to do that, man, I would love that. I would love to return. Like I said, I was listening to some of the early episodes uh, earlier this morning. They're awesome. You guys got a great show. And I'd be I'd be honored to return, fellas. I got, yeah, I got thank you, brother. I've heard you have a good sense of humor, so I'd like to see it on a whole episode without any seriousness. <laughs> Hey, I would love to. I'll, I'll work on some uh, some bits though before, so <laughs> I'll be ready to go. Awesome, awesome, man! Thank you so much, JD, for taking the time, man. Tell uh, plug plug yourself yes. where everyone can find you. The book it's coming out November third. I'm going to get some of your guys' merch too. By the way, I was looking at that. I got to get some of that. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Um, yeah. So, so the new book is called "Darling, You're Not Alone." Actually, got it right here. So go check it out. Uh, it'll be available on Amazon on November 3rd or wherever books are sold. Um, you can also get it on my website, 
uh, jdwritesbooks.com or the publisher's website, summerhousepublishing.co. And also you can follow me on social media at JD underscore Slackert on both Twitter and Instagram. And there's also a website dedicated to just the book called www.darlingyourenotalone.com where there's a lot of like inside information about the book uh, and kind of how it came to be, but also this letter writing campaign um, that I'm sort of starting called You're Not Alone, where we write letters uh, to people and challenge others to do uh, the same thing. And on this website, you can upload your own letter and I'll read it and I'll write back to you and we can communicate um, wherever you are in the world. And uh, yeah, hopefully just kind of start a little bit of a mission for good and spreading hope and positivity. And um, yeah, so that's the You're Not Alone letter writing campaign at darlingyourenotalone.com. And uh, man, thank you guys all again for having me. And to all you listeners out there, I appreciate you uh, taking the time. Thank you, man. Yeah, and uh, if you want to write uh, Ray and I a letter, we we will be uh, hey, glad to reply to you. You guys are right um, back. <laughs> yeah, I'll write back to you. And uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, um, I noticed your books aren't on Audible yet. I couldn't listen to your book. So Ray and I are for hire. If you'd like to, <laughs> if you'd like us to read your book yes. on Audible, if you want you. someone who's also not skilled enough to do what they do. Uh, I'll totally read all the words wrong and mispronounce them if you need an audio book. Sure, sure. Yeah, I, uh, that's good. I'll, I will keep that in mind and I will bring that to my people and I will return with uh, my answer. But some of these things are out of my control. Uh, that's fine. Well, we got it. We understand. We're in the business, <laughs> brother. <laughs> thank you again, JD. This has been awesome, man. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, guys. I, I appreciate it, too. It was great to see you and uh, I look forward to being back soon. Absolutely. Thank you, man. All right, fellas. Peace, brother. Have a good one.